Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our Sunday morning service with evangelist David Diga Hernandez in a message continuing our series chambers called The Heart of Generosity. Enjoy this message. Well, you can sit down. God bless you this morning. And welcome to the online viewers, those of you joining us online. Can we welcome those watching online just for a second? Thank you, all of you joining us. God bless you. Come join us sometime soon. I want to minister this morning on having a heart of generosity. Now, I've taught on generosity and giving and prosperity and things like this. But I'm going to focus, I mean, I am going to talk a little bit about generosity. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the benefits. I'll talk a little bit about what prosperity is and so forth. But what I really want to focus on this morning is the source of generosity. I want to look at the heart and examine what cultivates and what kills generosity in an individual. Because really, as the scripture teaches, some of the most important things that we think or that we do in life come from deep within the heart. So can we just take a moment to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to really take this word and bring transformation in us and to transform mindsets? Can we do that just for a second? Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this word to transform minds and hearts. Father, help us to identify as we look to your word as a mirror. Help us to identify things within our own soul, within our own mind, that would contradict your nature. We pray, Father, that we would be people who would be generous just like you are. We honor and we bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said? So I want to first begin by making it very clear, from a biblical standpoint, prosperity is not an ugly word. Now, I do understand that there have been some abuses of the word prosperity and the doctrines of sowing and reaping. You've heard people promise you breakthrough in seven days if only you would sow a seed of $777. You've likely heard of the gimmicks. Well, it's 2010, so sow $20.10 or $2,010, which they prefer the 2010. You know, these gimmicks and these pressure points and these weird ways of going about getting God's people to give, that's really just manipulation. So what happened is when that began to become popular, especially on Christian television, um, it really made Christians cynical. It made a lot of people skeptical anytime anybody mentioned the word prosperity or giving or sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping wasn't invented by some 3 a.m. televangelist. Sowing and reaping is a principle in Scripture, which I'll show you in a little bit. So prosperity is really misunderstood. And we imagine that, especially if we go with what's being taught on some of those um, platforms, we imagine that prosperity is me living in a big mansion or driving a fancy car, or wearing the nicest clothes, or dining out at the best restaurants. But biblically speaking, prosperity has nothing to do with being a multi-millionaire or a billionaire. And not every believer will be a millionaire or a billionaire or super wealthy. 
Biblically speaking, this is the definition of prosperity. When my needs are met and I have enough left over to help others. So that's going to look different for every individual. And some people God does give the gift of giving to. And this will require, obviously, more resources. And some people are gifted with the gift of administration. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible talks about the spiritual gifts. And there are different functions in the body of Christ. And, you know, the gift of administration, I believe, is the gift of business. Some people are anointed to prosper financially in larger ways than other Christians. So not everyone's going to be a millionaire or billionaire. That's not the promise of Scripture. But the Bible does promise that you'll never lack. The Bible does teach you how to break the power of debt, and debt really is a bondage. The Bible teaches how to be in a position to where you can help other people. So, prosperity is not an evil thing. Talking about money is not bad. Talking about generosity is good. In fact, when you talk about finances, it actually is really challenging in a good way because it's so important. We, we can't deny that money is important. Otherwise, people wouldn't get angry when you talk about it. So, so finances are key. They're an important aspect of the Christian life, but they mustn't become the sole focus. So with that said, let's go to the first scripture I have for you here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just a moment ago, I told you that we would talk a little bit about sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's begin at verse number 6, and I'm going to read probably up to verse 13, and this is coming out of the New Living Translation. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Remember, the Holy Spirit guides the devil pressures. So... Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. One of the ways people will pressure you to give is guilt. One of the ways people will pressure you to give is by using your own greed against you, by promising you all these things that are not necessarily theirs to promise, and it causes you to go, oh, well, maybe it's like a Christian lotto I throw in and I may get a bonus out. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So yes, it's on us to give with a cheerful heart, but it's also the responsibility of those who are taking offerings to not pressure in an ungodly way. Now, challenging you is one thing. Saying, here's the goal, here's what we'd like many of you to do. That's different than saying, hey, if you don't give, you and your whole family are going to be out on the streets because the end times are upon us and God only protects those who sow financially into this specific project. That's not biblical. And God, watch this now, and there's a condition here. Verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. That's a promise. Now, either we believe the word of God or we don't. And if we believe the word of God, then we can claim this promise. God will, God will generously provide all you need. Not some of what you need. Every little bit. Then, I love this sentence right here. Then you will always have everything you need. I love that because those are extreme words. You will always have everything. 
I'll always have everything I need if I live a life of generosity. That means there'll never be a moment where a need comes up and I don't have what I need to cover it. That's a promise from the scripture. You will always have everything you need. And this is my favorite part right here. You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's powerful. Go down to verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a harvest, a great harvest of generosity in you. So the scripture here is telling us that God is the one who gave you your resources in the first place. So he says, sow the seed and then he gives you the seed. What you have was produced, yes, by your sweat, yes, by your time, yes, by your work, but who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the ability to function? Who gave you the mind to apply to create the wealth that you've acquired? It was God who gave it to you. So God is the one who gives you the seed. The problem is many of us, instead of planting the seed, we eat the seed and then it never produces more. But when you sow that seed, it becomes more than what you first had. And that is the promise of scripture. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. In the same way, he will provide, watch this, not just provide, he will provide and increase your resources. Wow, what a promise. How many want to say, Lord, increase my resources? It's okay to pray that. It's a promise right here. See, we've been conditioned to think, oh, money bad. Rich person, bad. That's the culture today. The rich guy is the villain. Why? Because these people are selfish. Because these people don't understand wealth creation. Because these people don't understand that God is the one who gives that ability to create such wealth. So what do we do? We villainize the winners because we ourselves are struggling. And that's not a biblical approach. The wealth, the people aren't evil just because they're wealthy. We have to be rid of that mindset. I mean, the Bible says God owns it all. He's the wealthiest of them all. Is he evil? Prosperity is something you find in heaven. Is heaven an evil place? There's an abundance in heaven. You think you're going to get to heaven and God's going to go to the cupboards and go, oof, how much do we have for that lamb supper? How much do we have for, for the banquet that we have for everybody getting? You know, when you get there, there's going to be an abundance. That's heavenly culture. And God's will, we are to pray, should be done in earth just as it is in heaven. So wealth is not evil. Prosperity is not evil. Abundance is not evil. Wealthy people are not evil. In fact, God wants to increase your resources. Why? Why? What's the purpose? This is where it all comes down to. The purpose is, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can always be generous. That's why God increases you. That's why God blesses you. That's why you should pray, Lord, increase my resources. The scripture also says in 1 Timothy... 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'll read verses 17 through 19. 
Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I thought that was interesting. Because the scripture doesn't say, He gives us all we need to survive. Look at what it says. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for what? For our enjoyment. You know God intended for you to enjoy your life? Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. So that they may experience true life. Now, we read this scripture, and we see where the Bible says, teach those who are rich, and we go, yeah, tell those rich people. But do you realize that if you're sitting in this room, and if you're watching me online on a computer that you paid over a grand for, or a phone that you maybe paid more for, you're watching me on an internet connection, You're sitting here in this room, you have more than one change of clothes. You ate this morning, you're planning where you're going to eat after service with no concern. Possibly have spare change sitting somewhere around the house. You have a refrigerator, cable, a streaming service. No, nobody with a streaming service like a Hulu or Netflix is really, really suffering. I mean, if you're really suffering that, oh my gosh, my kids can't eat, but you know, that $12.99, we got to catch up on the latest series there. Nobody's going to do that. That's entertainment. That's extra. That's leftover. $2,000 TV at home. In a home that you have. You guys, we are the wealthiest 1% of the world. See, we want to villainize the 1% of the 1%. That's just, that's, just, that's just greed. That's just jealousy. But, but you are the 1% of the world. Most people in the world as a whole don't have it as good as you have it. So we hear this verse, yeah, tell those rich people. You are the rich people. You today live better than any king who lived back then. A lot of the things that we call needs are luxuries and we don't even realize it. You know what needs are? Food, shelter, clothing. Everything else is a luxury. I mean, really think about it. Running water, luxury. Hot water, luxury. A car, luxury. Oh, they fly around on private jets. Well, why do you drive around in a private car? (laughs) They, They should take public transportation when they fly. You take public transportation when you drive. They could be saving that money and giving it to the poor. Okay, you take the bus and what you pay on the car, you give to the poor. 
We demonize the 1% in America in total hypocrisy. We are the 1% of the world. We've got it good. So, tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Dogecoin, you ever try that? I did, failed miserably. I'm still waiting to gain it back. Just kind of left it in there. These cryptocurrencies, stocks, bonds, I don't understand half of it. But it goes up and down. Value of the dollar. You can buy less with the dollar today than you could have a couple years ago. Why? Because it's unreliable. It's a man-made system. Only God is consistent. So, in Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Generosity is a test of the heart. Generosity reveals what is in your heart. So, having said that, let's look at a few things that can cultivate generosity. Proverbs 11.25, I believe it was mentioned in the offering, says, A generous soul shall prosper. He who refreshes others shall himself be refreshed. Now, in the KJV, it says generous soul. This is speaking of an internal reality. Generosity begins in the heart. Generosity is rooted within. Only when my heart is in the right condition can I give according to how God shows me to give. Now, in John 3.16, it's a very popular portion of scripture here. This is what the Bible says. For God so loved the world, or the NLT, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Number one, generosity comes from love. You've heard the cliche, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You know, I love giving gifts to people. It's one of my hobbies, I guess. And whenever it's someone's birthday or Christmas or special occasion, I like to try to think, what will this individual like the most? And I tell you, there are some people who are difficult to buy, like Ruben. Ruben, I, every year I don't know what on earth to get you. I call Crystal, I'm at Target. What does he want? She's like, I don't even know. <laughs> you know, you ever get the, the gift for someone and it's just perfect and you can't wait to give it to them? And you're almost more excited to give it to them than they are to get it. They're like, oh, thanks. You're like, that's it? Can I get a tear something? Can you respond? Even if you're acting, do it for my own benefit. What is that that, that that causes you to do that? That's your love. You love that person. You, you want to give them something. You, you want to demonstrate your love for them by what you give to them. You demonstrate your love for them by what you give to them. So when we are loving, when we have a heart filled with love, it unlocks that ability to give. Now, it's, you ever notice it's easier to give 
to certain people and more difficult with others? Because some people you love more. It's much easier for me to give a gift to my Aria than it is for me to give when I see like a GoFundMe flash across Facebook. Not because I don't love them at all. It's just easier to give to my daughter because I love her more than the person I see on GoFundMe. And it's funny how we'll stretch our budget for certain people. We'll, we'll go above and beyond for certain individuals. You know, the, well, a little bit. T- you know, I think for them, I can do a little bit more. Why? What is that? That stretching comes from love. When you have a love for the church, you're not criticizing when they take an offering. You're, you're looking for ways you can help. Why? Because you love. You love this place. You love the, the people. You love what's being done here. You love the transformation and the stories and the testimonies. You love. And so generosity, first and foremost, comes from love. Secondly, generosity comes from selflessness. Now, love and selflessness are almost synonymous. There's an anecdote or a common story that's told where I'll give you the short version. Doctors asked a little boy to give some blood to save his little sister. He hesitated but agreed, not fully knowing what it meant. As the nurse finished taking his blood, the boy asked, okay, when do I die? He thought that by giving blood for his sister, he was giving his life. I don't even know if it's true. I mean, it sounds great, but it's a story that floats around. Gets a good reaction. But it illustrates the point that he, he, he gave. Why? Because he was being selfless. In James chapter 4, let me show you something. James 4, look at this. Let's go to verse... I'm going to read the second part. Actually, let's read all of verse 2 and 3. You want what you don't have... So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. Jeff Bezos is evil. No, Jeff Bezos is a genius. I just split the room right there. Oh, well. (laughs) You want what others have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now watch this. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Or the KJV says, consume it upon your own lust. Meaning, I want this for me. I pray this for me. But that's not the heart of generosity. Think about the boy with five loaves and two fish. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do. He likely didn't even know who the disciples were. Maybe they just roughed him up and took it from him. Or maybe he gave it willingly. But that was his lunch. Five loaves, two fish. That was, that was, that was his meal. And the disciples take it. And they give it to Jesus. He multiplies it and feeds more than 5,000. 5,000 was the men numbered among them. And they had a lot more kids in that culture than in this one. 
So let's just say one kid per every family. That's 15,000 people. That's wife and child per family. So it's more than 15,000 people likely. More like 20 or 30,000 people. Those five loaves of bread, those two fish, he gives them to Jesus selflessly. He wasn't thinking about the fact that he was giving up his meal. He was just thinking about the fact that the Lord had asked for it. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Generosity comes from selflessness. It's others-centered. Number three, generosity comes from compassion. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says this. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. And if you read Psalm chapter 41, you'll see a list of benefits that God gives to you when you take care of the poor. Now, why do you suppose God constantly speaks of the poor? It's because it's in his nature to have compassion on those who are less fortunate. I'm not talking about enabling people who are living lives of laziness. I'm not talking about making it easier for people to just continue in a certain way of living. I'm talking about helping those who genuinely need it. I'm talking about having a heart for those who genuinely found themselves in a rough spot. They're not lazy. They're not being apathetic toward life. They're they're not just taking advantage of a system. They're not just taking advantage of people. They're not trying to manipulate you to feel bad for them. In fact, many times, most people who need help feel very, very ashamed of it, sadly. They feel ashamed of the fact that they need help. They don't want others to know. But the one who is generous not only recognizes those needs, but has a heart that springs into action when they see a brother or sister in trouble. Generosity means that you won't have it so that others can. And this is especially important that we have compassion when it comes to our generosity because generosity is most powerful when you're giving to someone who can't give back. If I'm trying to win favor with someone who might be able to open a door for me, if I'm being generous toward a potential client for the business, if I'm being generous toward someone who might be able to at some point in the future do me a favor in return, that's one way of generosity, but the motive is all wrong. But when you give to someone who can't give back to you, it's a true demonstration of your heavenly father's nature within your heart. It's a true demonstration of who God is through you. Ron Simpkins, we all call him Uncle Ron here one day, as he goes, Digga, I got a question for you. He goes, who's your demoniac? I go, what are you talking about? Like, who's my demoniac? He said, demoniac. He said, the, Jesus delivered that demoniac, Mark 5. I said, yes. He says, well, he delivered that guy and he couldn't do anything for him. He was just a wild guy running around the tombs. He says, there were people that Jesus helped who did something for the cause, who were able to carry their own weight, who contributed something toward the spreading of the gospel. The women came along, gave of their resources. The disciples did work. They paved the way. They helped the Lord. But the demoniac, he was just a crazy guy in a graveyard. Jesus sets him free. There's not much he can do. 
He said, who's your demoniac? Who are you helping that can't help you? Who are you giving toward that can't give back? And I think as the people of God, we must ask the Holy Spirit for greater discernment because I think sometimes we're so rushed and so self-centered that we miss the needs right there in front of us. There are possibly people in this room who can't pay rent, not through any fault of their own, again, not through laziness, not taking advantage of the system, but genuinely found themselves in a rough spot. Especially when people face medical issues, there are, there are problems that arise. You ever get a hospital bill? Remember one time I got a hospital bill, an ambulance ride, like a two minute ride, $5,000. I was like, how much is the gas you put in these things? Like you, you did, I just I literally we sat in there and we we we, we were, I could have called an Uber. That'd have been much cheaper. But think about it: somebody has an accident, somebody gets a disease, not necessarily completely covered by insurance. What are they going to find themselves in? Bills on bills on bills on bills. There are people in this room, not just through health issues, not just through job loss, but through other ways have found themselves in difficult places and they're possibly sitting in this room. It's quite possible there's someone watching online who didn't come to church today simply because they didn't have the gas money to get here. And if we're not careful, we can rush past them so quickly that we won't recognize a need where there's a need. We'll move past people's plights, we'll move past their problems and we'll, you will walk by people in a hurry on your way to lunch and you'll miss them and they might be worrying about where their next meal will come from. But you're so busy rushing to lunch that you missed them. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be you know, all-knowing and it's your fault if somebody goes without. But what I am talking about is just being more aware because that's one of the aspects of compassion is an awareness of other people. An awareness of other people's needs, an awareness of where other people are at in life. Consider others, for generosity comes from compassion. Number four, generosity comes from gratitude. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and this is one of the more popular narratives from um, the Scripture, beginning at verse 36, we see a woman who comes and anoints Jesus. She begins to kneel behind him, weeping, and with her tears, she begins to wash his feet. Of course, the Pharisees criticize it. They criticize everything. And Jesus explains to them, this woman is anointing me. And she had broken over him um, very, very, very precious substance that actually they say was about a year's worth of wages. So her whole annual salary given in an offering and, and, and you know, leave it to Judas. That could have been used for the poor. It sounds right, doesn't it? That could have been used for the poor. It sounds right, but often uh, religious is just a bun- religion is just a bunch of virtue signaling. That could have been used for the poor, and, and we know the poor are with us always. But this woman pours out this lavish gift, and, and it's that lavishness that comes from gratitude. Generosity comes from love. Generosity comes from selflessness. Generosity comes from compassion. But lavish generosity comes from gratitude. Jesus explained to the Pharisees, this woman is doing this. She's giving so much because she's been forgiven of so much. 
People who are thankful are givers. People who recognize that what they have has come from the Lord are givers. People who recognize that they have it good are givers. This woman poured it out on him and she was criticized for the level of her giving. She was criticized for how lavish it was. And I think that is such a poverty mindset. People of God, I'm just gonna say it like it is. That's a poverty mindset. You got them what? You gave them what? How much? Oh, that's overboard. Oh, that's too much. Oh, I would never. Yeah, and that's why you are not in a position to do it because you would never and God saw that. We have to break that mentality, guys, of of limited generosity. And I'm not just talking about tithes and offering to the church. I'm talking about the way we treat each other. You know, I've seen people do things like that. and I, Like I've watched it like in groups where I'm fellowshipping with people where, where someone doesn't have, let's just say, for example, a jacket. And the person, you know, hands it to them. And they're like, oh, you can have it. Really? No, just kidding. Ha ha, everyone laughs. And I thought, why is that a joke? And I'm not saying you have to give everyone your jacket who asked for it. What I'm saying is, why, why is that so inconceivable that we laugh at it? Why, why can't we just take things off our wrist and hand it to someone? Why, 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 can't we, why can't we be so generous that people go, is that like your family member? Is that like your brother? You say, well, in the spirit, yeah. And it's like, well, if they're not blood, if they're not within the, if they're not, you know, wife, child, brother, sister, then no, it doesn't get too lavish. Why, why can't we just live that lifestyle of lavish generosity toward anyone who bears the image of God? Because when you give to others, really, you're giving to God. You're giving to the Lord because he takes notice of it. What others can't repay, God will. That's one of the keys to prosperity is lavish giving. Break that poverty mindset that goes, oh, no, that's way too much to do. Oh, no. You know, know, somebody's gift that you're going, oh, 10 bucks, 10 bucks will do it. Why? You're going to spend more than that on, on food that week. On, on going to fast food. I'm not just talking about the, the food that you need. I'm talking about the, you know, the comfort food. On gadgets, on things for ourselves. That's the type of generosity I'm talking about. Breaking that mold, that limited thinking. Laughing about things that are too extravagant. Why can't we reach for more when it comes to generosity? I want to be so generous that, that people are just wowed when they receive it. Not so that I can receive glory for them. You, you, you don't have to do that for that credit, you know. You could do it just because you love people. But, but to the, for the person you're giving, imagine giving something to someone that changes their life. That, that changes their circumstance, that changes the way they view themselves. You don't realize that when you give gifts sometimes to people and it's something that it's above and beyond, you don't realize that you may be helping to transform the way they see themselves. That's why we give. We give from that gratitude and that gratitude, Lord, I'm so thankful for everything I have. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in my life. I'm so thankful that you've provided for me every step of the way. And that gratitude manifests in this lavish lifestyle of giving. Number five, generosity comes from faith. In Mark chapter 10, we see the story a very popular story of the rich young ruler. 
And he was given an opportunity to follow Jesus. Long story short, Jesus says, give up all you have, give everything, sell it, and then go give it to the poor. And he, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of money. This guy was wealthy. So he goes away sorrowful. He rejected the call. He rejected the invitation Jesus gave to him. And I really do believe that there was one thing that kept him from doing this. And I believe it was fear. He was afraid to see what would happen to him if he were to give. He was afraid to see what would happen to him if he were to give up that wealth. He was afraid to see what would happen if he were to not trust in his riches, but instead trust in the Lord. That's why number five, generosity comes from faith, the heart of faith. Fear will keep you from generosity. Why? Because you, you it's, and it's not even a lack of faith. See, it's not a lack of faith that keeps you from giving. It's misplaced faith that keeps you from giving. Because your trust is in the money, not in God. You know, if, if you were made to be afraid by the shaking of the systems of this world in this past season, you became afraid when the economy was shaken, it's proof to you, and it's actually quite revealing, it's proof to you that your faith was in a system and not in God. Why would I be afraid if my faith is in God when an economy is shaken? Why would I be afraid of that? Now, planning is one thing. Wisdom is one thing. But fear, fear will kill generosity. You see, it's not that if you don't give or that if you're not generous that God will leave you just out on your own. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil. Yet Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like these lilies. They don't toil. It's not, it's not something you work for. God provides for you because he loves you. I don't give to try to get God to provide for me. I give because I trust he will provide for me. And that liberates me to give generously. So begin to ask yourself, begin to reflect on what the word says. Are you truly demonstrating generosity? Are you truly reaching higher and higher, stretching your faith in each season to see if you can see that generosity grow? Are you living in fear? Are you living in selfishness? Are you living in self-centeredness? give because we love. We give because we're grateful. We give because we have compassion on others. What does your generosity look like towards your family? Toward the body of Christ? Toward the church? Toward strangers? Toward people who maybe you have a little issue with? You know that the Bible says your gift will make room for you. Do you realize that sometimes a gift can restore relationships? Giving is powerful. It's, it's not just a material thing. It's a spiritual thing. There is a spiritual dynamic behind giving something to someone. Generosity. So you're in this place this morning and you say, you know what? I've been challenged. I see that generosity is an issue of the heart. And you're going to be one of two people. Either you're someone who says, 
I need to really start being generous. Or you're someone who says, I am generous, but I'd like God to take me further. If that's you, would you just stand up and come? Let's just pray. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit for faith. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to make our hearts compassionate toward others. I believe that God is even going to release favor to those who are giving. And you online, if you're watching and you're being challenged by this message, just write in the comments what you want God to do. And you that, make that your own online altar call, the comment section right now. And just begin to write things that you know you should be doing or write things that you want God to do in your heart. This is a call for those who want to go higher in their giving. They want to go higher in their generosity. They want to go higher in the way they think about resources. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to really speak to us, to, to mold our hearts, to shape us, that we might become givers. Not fear-filled, but faith-filled. Filled with faith, knowing that we can trust the Lord. Not in our own resources. So just lift your hands. Just begin to pray and ask Him. I'm going to pray over you as you pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift these to you now. And I ask, Lord, that you would begin to shape our hearts. Let us be like you, Lord, abounding in generosity. Make us like you. Giving when there's no benefit that we can immediately see. Help us to recognize the needs around us. Help us to have compassion on those who are in tough positions. Give us that ability, Lord. Give us that ability. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now just lift your hands and just begin to surrender to the Lord. Let Him change you. This is a change of mind. And a change of mind will result in a change in life. Let him change your mind on the subject. Let him change your mind about giving and money and generosity. Father, break the poverty mentality. Break the poverty mentality that would limit what you can do in our lives. Help us, Lord, to reach for more. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.